right, we're just setting up here. Mate, we are now live on Facebook. This is episode four of Future Golf TV. I'm very, very excited for this one, mate. We've got Jack Wilson, PGA Pro, and just first of all, for people that don't know who Jack is, one of Australia's awesome young golfers, but also more so than that, a guy that's really trying to trailblaze and change the game of golf and the way that it's viewed and looked at, which is something that at Future Golf we're very passionate about as well, mate. So firstly, a big thank you for hopping on this call. And I know we've got a lot of people in our community and audience that are absolutely pumped for this. So we'll be crossing back to questions as they come through, but we'll just start sort of jumping into a bit of a chat and see where it takes us. It's an alley pleasure to have it. I've, uh have the opportunity to jump on with you, mate, and uh, yeah, love what you guys are doing. And yeah, look, it's uh, you gave me a bit of a pump up there. I, I don't know whether <laughs> I deserved all that, but uh, no, nah, look, thank you very much, and looking forward to a chat. Uh, very well deserved, my friend. Very well deserved. So, just with starting from the top, mate, just tell us a little bit about your golfing journey, where you started, how you got into the game, and yeah. Yeah, well, for I guess for the golf enthusiast, you know, listen to Nick O'Hearn last week. This isn't going to be the uh, quite the the story that he had, but um, yeah, look, country country kid, grew up uh, country Victoria, wasn't very talented at all. I uh, lived across the road from a golf course. Probably preferred to be out there than anywhere else, school wise. Um, yeah, wasn't even the most uh, the most talented in my school. Probably second rate, but realized that I wasn't good enough at uh, any other sport to make it professionally. So told the teachers that's what I was going to do. They all told me I was crazy. Moved to Melbourne, um, which Chuka was three hours north of Melbourne. So moved out of home at 18, down to Melbourne, lived on the course at Kingswood, was lucky enough to to board a room there off one of the the very generous members. And, uh, yeah, I played a year of amateur stuff um, just in Victoria. Never played an amateur event outside of Victoria. I managed to win a Vic Amateur Championship at the end of uh, end of 2010, which was completely uh, completely out of the blue. It seemed to be all my results seemed to be a bit of that, but um, yeah, it was. Uh, I'd already made the decision to turn trainee, so that opened some doors, um, got me some invites into some tour events the, in the first month of my traineeship, which I was uh, I was doing at Kingswood. So um, under two. Yeah, legend, legend guys in John, Jonathan Abbott and Dave Capaldo. So that was I was very lucky to be there, and the club was super supportive. And I, yeah, I'd, I'd had no real results up until that uh, that VCAM, and went into the start of my traineeship with all the confidence and and lucky to roll on. And yeah, had a had a pretty good three years, and and look very happy with that decision. It was it was one that isn't uh, isn't a traditional path, I guess for. Uh, for the tour player, but you know, I wasn't nearly as talented or or in any of the representative teams that that many of those guys have been before. So um, it allowed me to not only go out and play for money every week and learn what that was like, because you know I'm a big advocate for for getting that experience as soon as you can. It's uh, certainly different to playing amateur golf, I think, and and also you know running a business. You know, I, I had to learn to manage my time. I had to you know study. Um, yeah, it was it was a good uh, a good education, and then fast forward to 2013, I managed to get in the Victorian Institute of Sport. Started my third year in my traineeship, uh, win the national, the state championships, trainee champs uh, in about May May June up at Tokemall, and in October take out WAPGA championship uh, first trainee to sort of win a tour event. I, you know, I just planned on taking. 
two weeks off work, mate. I thought that was a big deal to get two weeks off work at the time and managed to win the first week, had to ring the boss and ask for another eight weeks off and was very lucky that, you know, it was a sort of unprecedented occasion. So the PGA were very supportive also mm-hmm. and it opened up a winner's category on uh, on the Aussie Tour and allowed me access to an exemption into the, the big tour events. Um, I played, I think I played eight tour events that summer. I made three cuts. One of them was a first. One of them was a second at New Wales Open, uh, at second last event of the year. And the other one, the big one, was I finished third in the Aussie PGA Championship there and um, was lucky enough to be behind Adam Scott, current world number one at the time and reigning US Masters champion in 2013 there. A surreal experience, um, one that, yeah, is still the highlight of my career, no doubt. But, um, yeah, it's... It's been very good. Um, it opened up a lot of doors the following year. I spent 30-plus weeks overseas after never being overseas before at the start of 2014. Spent 30 weeks overseas that year playing Europe, Asia, a little bit in the US. 2015, yeah, Canada, season up there. Um, and then, yeah, Aussie Tour, Asian Tour since then. And, um, yeah, certainly not the results that I'd sort of be hoping for. And uh, although I'm super lucky to be sitting where I am today, I'd much uh, much prefer to be out chasing the big dollars on uh, on one of the big tours. But, yeah, mate, I guess that's probably uh, that's probably it and probably more so known for the the dreadlocks that I managed to uh, to grow out and, and turn up on tour with at the start of 20, 2016 um, and probably shock the, uh, the golf fraternity, particularly in Australia, but oh. maybe wider and... And attract a bit of attention there, and then yeah, later with the addition of Riz, we uh yeah we we certainly raised some eyebrows, and um yeah, it created a fantastic platform to do something special in the last year in shaving them off, and and mate yeah it's it's been a it's been a crazy seven years, something that uh you know from from sitting at the start of 2013 doing start my third year of my traineeship to so I guess now um. Yeah, if you had said what I've been able to do and what I've been able to experience, you know, you would have jumped at something like that. Being a country kid, it's, uh, it's certainly a surreal experience, and and yeah, hopefully it's not over yet. Hopefully there's a there's a lot more to come, and we get through the current uh, global climate and we get back out there playing tournament golf. Yeah, mate. Well, well, we're going to unpack so much of that. Like you've given us the nice high level high level summary there, but there's so much more to dig in here. So, so let's get maybe let's go back to. Chuka, right? Like you mentioned, you, you might not even be the best golfer in the school. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, what what was the quality of golf going on? Um, there was, I think, there was two of us, and I was second out of the two. So I uh, played second in all the all the school, yeah, the schoolboys events we played. I was always, yeah, the, the second second rated player. Um, yeah, it was just one of those ones. I I even moved to Melbourne with really having no real results. Um, but was lucky enough to scrape my way into a state squad and, and learn how to train and practice and didn't have many friends. So I allocated all my time to, uh, to playing golf and managed to improve quite a bit. And I guess the, uh, the mantra of hard work mm. pays off sort of thing was, was what I saw I had to go off. And, um, yeah, man, the, the idea of playing professional sport is something pretty special. So it's a good motivator. Yeah. And, and take us through that a little bit. So how old are you when you first pick up a club and going through that high school thing? Like you mentioned there, was golf a little bit of an escape or what was the the draw to golf? Yeah, mate, look, um, we moved across the road from a golf course when I was 11. Um, 
I think the old man gave me the gentle push. He, he was a bit of a sports person himself that, you know, probably uh, didn't quite achieve what he wanted to and, and, and what he thought he was capable of and what a lot thought he was capable of. So, you know, obviously, you know, having a couple of sons, he, he saw the opportunity to hopefully push us into it. And um, so with that, and, and I, you know, I was just a, you know, the young young teenager that was annoying my parents at home a lot. So it was a good good reason for them to uh, get me out of the house. And it was, mate, as everyone that's probably listening and, and will listen, golf's got that addiction property where mm-hmm. as soon as you get a taste for it, it's very hard to let it go when you uh, you start getting the rewards of, you know, whether it be a golf bag or winning the club comp or just seeing the handicap go down. That's a, that's a pretty uh, easy hook to swallow. And, yeah, it certainly got me. And although I got distracted, you know, not the most uh, attractive kid in school, I, I managed to get a girlfriend somehow. So that was certainly a distraction there through the end of high school and um, probably took away from some of the, uh, the work that I should have been doing on my game. But, yeah, look, it was, it was a good escape definitely um, and it was a sport where I did not didn't have uh, a team to let down if I didn't perform. It was only me. So I didn't mind that responsibility. And it's golf, man. It's, it is. It's it's the hardest sport in the world. And I'm probably that way inclined to sort of pick the harder task. So it was, awesome. uh, it was good, man. That's what, that's what got me. And here I am still, still going. So, so, so still how'd you start where I want to be? <laughs> that's an amazing yeah and i think it's amazing to see that that's how yeah you, you started getting into the game a bit of a push from the dad and having the course sort of across the road there like how'd you start off what were you shooting when you, you first started playing were you a natural or was it oh, i was probably pretty lucky in the way that i had some hand-eye coordination and, mm-hmm. and I, my yeah my dad was very sport inclined so there was always some form of uh racket or bat or ball in hand um mm-hmm. so you know i took up Took to it reasonably well, but I was very lucky. We had a couple of good coaches at the at the golf course that time, and they ran a Sunday morning clinic for for juniors at nine a.m. and I turned up there sort of most Sundays for yeah the first six months or so, and and saw the progression get better. You know, started mm-hmm. along the ground, and the ball started going in the air, and then it started going where I was aiming, and all of a sudden you're uh, you're starting to put some scores together, and they weren't too good. It was you know I was a kid at that point, and they were, they were certainly high, but, the, yeah, the work you put in, even at that point, you saw it get better pretty quick. And and I, it's why I sort of love working with juniors now is because the rate of progression is always so much quicker and, and the satisfaction of the of the individual is always so much higher when you're a kid because it's much easier to pick up. But And you're at an expectation level that's, uh, you know, not what you would have as an adult watching it on TV for so many years. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I wish I started playing a, a little bit earlier than what I did. That would have been helpful for sure. Um, so I play it every, all the time, mate. For someone trying to take this game up at thirty plus, yeah, you're a very brave human. <laughs> you're in for a lot of disappointment for a lot of years, but um, you see it all the time. It, the hook's still there. It still manages to capture just as many adults as it does kids. So, got to be something to do that, I reckon. It's it's crazy. You mentioned it earlier. What this game does to us is very unique. It's unlike any sport that I've ever played, and yeah, it hooks you. So, so take us through that that moment. Like, at what point did you say that? All right, I'm I'm half a chance here. I need to go and take this thing a little bit more seriously. I need to move down to Melbourne and take the game yeah. to the next level. I don't know what it is. My parents can never really describe where I got it from. The idea of going, 
yeah, I can do it, you know, like, and I just, just, I don't know, just, just oblivious to the fact that I might fail, I guess, and and I just yeah. dive in and, and manage to get myself into a position. And I don't know, I, I don't have a problem talking to people and asking, you know, for an opportunity sort of thing, and you know, I failed a lot of times too. So you, that sort of thing, that having less fear there, I guess, was probably the the process I took. And what's what's the worst that can happen? I'll can always move home. Mum and dad are always going to look after me. So um, it's uh, that was probably it, mate. I just went. I've got to give it a crack. I'd hate to uh, hate to regret it, you know, down the track. And um, I was very lucky to have incredible people along the way that have mm. allowed me to do what I've been able to do. I had very supportive parents, but a very supportive, uh, um, I guess, yeah, mentors in in my coaches and and later bosses at, at Kingswood and um, Marcus Fraser was a member there, and he mm. was he was also very giving. Gives me a lot of shit most of the time too now, but uh, at that point when I was sort of coming through, was also very supportive. And you know, there was a couple of other older guys that that were help, happy to take me under the wing and and sort of show me the ropes. So I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. And and then later getting into the the programs that were around at the time, even as a fringe player, um, there was a lot of access there if you wanted to put the work mm-hmm. in, and you were rewarded for that. And that was something that was was very uh, very beneficial for me in that that process coming through for sure. No, that's awesome. And what were you playing off when you made that move to Melbourne? Uh, that was all an old handicap system, older yeah. handicap system what we are of now. But I was off about scratch, nothing. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. nothing too too special. Um, I never really got much lower than plus one, mm-hmm. sort of plus two. Um, and I didn't stay there for very long. I was still thrown in 80s pretty regularly. So it seemed to jump out pretty quick. But, um, yeah, I'll always, even like... Even the whole time I was based at Kingswood, I think the best I ever shot was was sort of sixty six, you know, yeah. sixty five around there. And um, around your home track as as that, you know, I'm seeing guys out here now shooting sort of eight, nine, ten regularly, and that was just something I couldn't fathom around that golf course. And super sad to see it go, but it's uh, it has formed into something special now. Obviously, finished mm. Kingswood, so you can't be too disappointed. Right. It's that's an incredible story. It reminds me a lot of the you mentioned at the top, Nico Hearn's story. Like when he turned pro or did his traineeship, I think he was a four handicapper. Oh yeah, and that one the other day is very impressive. <laughs> like, like I love that story even more so than the than the person that was destined for it and was plus six for most of their junior career. Like it shows that and want to unpack this a little bit more, like uh, you touched on that point there that you were oblivious to failure. I think there's something quite special in that. That do you think that, that attitude of I've got nothing to lose here. I'm just going to give it a crack and just see where it goes. Mm. Could have been sheer you know. stupidity too. Let's be, <laughs> let's be real. Like uh, I haven't really been accused of being intelligent very often. So um, it could have just been that. But, um, yeah, look, it, it's something that, you know, I've probably learnt, I've probably done intuitively um, over the past and then now in hindsight it's easy to say that. Uh, I don't think I knew it at the time. It was probably mm. luck. But, you know, now I can look back and I guess say that with a little bit more ease because it is in hindsight. Yeah. But, um, mate, look, I, I'm a I'm a big believer, and I've, I've I've confirmed this with the travel I've done now. Is we are very lucky to live in this country and have the opportunity that we do, and it would be neglectful to not have a crack at something that comes up if you've got the mm. opportunity and you sort of let that go. That's pretty that's pretty poor considering a lot of people don't get 
any of those sort of opportunities at any point in their life. So, you know, you take that that on board a little bit and, and yeah, mate, I've, oh, what's the worst? I can still now, I'm, you know, I'm not even 30 yet. So there's a lot of people still living with their parents at 30. I could easily move back there if it all turns pear-shaped. Mate, I'd just say it's such a fresh perspective on life, especially with all the stuff happening at the moment out there. I think you've hit it on the head there. Like, you know, that old notion of being grateful and appreciative of what we've got, you know, especially in times of crisis, I think really does play a pretty big role. And I think your approach to this, you know, it's it's just refreshing, like both in terms of the viewpoint from a professional perspective, but also from a wider golf perspective. It's something oh. that I think a lot of people relate to. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. It's, you know, I don't, don't see the... Yeah, I don't know. I've been the other way. Don't get me wrong. Golf, <laughs> golf will do it to you. It'll beat you down and get you thinking pretty negative at times too. But um, yeah, I see if you've got the you know you've got the opportunity to be the other way. I, it seems a lot more uh, seems to be a, a lot more enjoyable space. So I, I try and stay there as much as possible. But I'm certainly not perfect. I can get down just like the rest of us. <laughs> Mate, it's uh, so you're human, is what you're telling us. Um, just just throwing over to the comments at the moment. We've got a few coming through. So good work, guys. One from Simon from Blitz Golf. Hey, Simon, how are you going? Yeah, on um, a good thing over there. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll dig into that a bit later on in the convo too, um, and the work that you're doing there with Blitz. We've got Shane Armet, one of our members, coming through. Aussie golf legend Jack Wilson, ripping bloke, played with Jack in a pro am at Ainsbury a couple of years ago. One of the greatest ball strikers I've ever seen. Also a crazy driver to share a golf cart with. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably more realistic. I don't know. He hasn't played with many many golfers by the sounds of it. If I was the best ball striker he's seen, but um, oh, and, I appreciate that, Shane. Very uh, very generous, mate. And, and Riz is getting a shout out here as well. Two of the most down to earth blokes I've ever met. Best golfer, caddy, hairstyle, beard mates combo in golf. <laughs> yeah, <There's- laughs> not so much anymore. It's uh. It's all looking very, uh, very corporate right now. And Riz, yeah, I don't know if anyone saw any of the photos I put up on Instagram. You didn't even recognise him with short hair and and a clean shaven face. It, uh, I turned up to the pub that day and had a conversation with him a minute with no idea who I was talking to. So, <laughs> it's, uh, it had been many years since I'd seen him like that. And uh, yeah, he's walking around now. No one knows who he is. So, no, bit of an end of an era, some might say. That's oh, oh, uh, the start of a new one. That's what that is. Um, brilliant, mate. And then we've got Tim who says that, yeah, very true. Brett Smith beat you on the back nine holes at Kingswood. Um, or Brett maybe, had too many espresso martinis. What's that? <laughs> Something about Brett Smith beating yeah. you over nine holes or you'd had too many espresso martinis not yeah, sure just a clown that's all right he's, he's a good mate of mine um the only thing he's ever beat me at is a running race i think it's probably because he's about 20 kilos lighter than me so that's the, the the record's straight there and then just great to see that the dreadies have gone jack um that would have made your old mate your old man happy not at all the old man's as uh as bogan as they come he loved the dreadlocks more than anyone that's hilarious. But, um, um, it's interesting to hear comments like that because there certainly was, you know, it sort of helps dive into when when I did come out with dreadlocks first. The, the amount of stick I copped on social really? media at events was was incredible. You know, like it was um, it probably highlighted the fact that golf was in a position where, you know, we probably needed to address a few things. Mm. Because, uh, if we stayed, you know, as traditionalists and, uh, straight down the line, we weren't going to be very uh, appealing to the wider demographic. We're only going to mm. going to appeal to a small small amount of people, and um, you know, 
golf just can't survive in this country if we if we continue to do that. We we don't have the population for the sport to uh mm-hmm. just to hold on to the small percentage. We need to appeal to everyone and we need to make the golf more entertaining. And gee, if if I could appeal to the uh the trailer park, you know, whatever you want whatever you want to uh compare it to, the happy Gilmore type crowd that um that's gonna bring a few more people that aren't currently watching the sport then that's got to be a positive right the more the, more the better yeah. is um this game's got to be available to everyone that's uh, too good Bill, tell us a little bit more about that so you you come onto the scene and you've got that image which as you said like it's the ricky fowler-esque it relates to a whole new generation what, what was the the friction like between say the establishment versus then also all the media attention and the fandom and you know you, you generated cult status unlike any other golfer has really in Australian golf. And uh, I think it showed that there's a different way to go about it that works. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, I, it certainly, I don't think it was the intention. Initially, it was probably a state of rebellion. I always say, like, yeah. we used to play Tiger Woods on PlayStation. You used to always customise your character with dreadlocks. And it was something I always wanted. Um, you know, it's just, you know, a white guy with dreadlocks is a bit weird, really, when you think about it. But, um you know, it was a state of rebellion, and then I guess after that feedback that I got a couple of months in, it probably just fueled me more to keep them because I was getting so much pressure to cut them off. And then, really, and then, well, it felt that way. You know, yeah. it's probably only a small percentage, but you know, that sort of noise tends to to stand out. Um, mm. And you know, it just it just gave me the motivation to keep them. And then the addition of the beard, and I guess looking less clean cut than than what everyone expected it was it was certainly interesting um it's it's helped me be the person i am being mm. able to deal with that and and i guess i i've managed to get by not worrying too much about what people think and i don't think i did before but it it, it allowed me to i guess open up that side a little bit more and um i oh, look made it i think you know when everyone started to understand what I was doing, the bigger message that I was trying to get across. And, you know, it didn't start that way, but I took it on board and, and tried to foster that. It was, um, you know, the support definitely came. And I don't know about cult hero. That's a bit of a, that's a bit, bit much, mate. But look, it was certainly a lot of fun. And I think that the main thing that like, I like is it was Riz and I just being us. Like at, yeah. at no point did we ever really exaggerate, you know, I like the cameras. I, you know, it's a good thing. It's not often we get to do stuff like that, you know, entertain. And, and that's all we are as sports mm. people is entertainers. So we have a responsibility to do that. And if I've got a personality that can manage to do that a little more, then, you know, it's my obligation to do that. So I, I did that. And, but a lot of the time it was just Riz and I just doing what we do when we're living together for the last two years. Like we just did it on the golf course. And if that got so much attention that it probably highlighted that there's something something wrong really we shouldn't have really got the attention we did for for looking the way we were and whatnot but you know we had a lot of fun and and if it it did bring in another audience then fantastic and and you know it was just a great journey for us and as i said it 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 created a platform that allowed me to do something very special in the last year and if that was all everything that had happened if that's all it did was to get to that point then it was more than worth it that's awesome. Yeah, it's, I think it's incredible. And some of the big points there is if you look at sport just in general now, it's getting so so like in the middle where where these personalities just don't exist, you know, especially in golf where, where you look at it, it's, it is an individual sport where that individual personality just probably doesn't come out enough. Like take away Tiger Woods and 
a couple of others. The media interviews are always just so bland and uninteresting, and that that platform just probably isn't being used to attract a new audience into the sport. And I think that yeah, that being yourself and being genuine really did did come through. So, so take us back like 2013. You you've got the PGA. They so so for, we'll go back a little bit further actually. The traineeship. You have the the first win in WA. Talk us through that a little bit. How that. Yeah, just just surreal, mate. Probably didn't prepare in a way that anyone would ever uh, recommend. I, I flew from Melbourne through <laughs> Adelaide on the Sunday to Kalgoorlie. We stopped in Adelaide, played a game at Glenelg, 18 holes, flew into Kalgoorlie that night. I played 18 Monday, 18 Tuesday, 18 Wednesday. So really, I'm probably burning myself out. And then I went out and shot 67 in, on Thursday and was leading and then managed to lead from first round right through to the last round. And although I stumbled definitely on the back nine on Sunday, I managed to tie for the for the lead when I finished and then in a playoff hit probably two of the better shots I've ever hit. Driver, two iron on the green to like 10 feet and a par five and, and yeah, two putter for birdie. And I'll never forget Andrew Kelly, Tarquin McManus, the two boys that I was rooming with that week, ran out, no champagne in Kalgoorlie, but couple of crown lagers each and soaked me in beer and then uh yeah didn't get to have a shower before we got in the toyota corolla for the eight hour drive back to perth so it was uh it was certainly an experience that's oh. you know not like what you see on tv it was um yeah. Yeah, you had the golf clubs over here on the back seat and it was um crammed in there in the small car but yeah we it was it was a it was a surreal experience to be able to, to win that and and mate that's a credit to the team I had around me at the time, not only the guys I was working for and the support I got there, the PGA were very supportive. Um, certainly after that win as well, you know, prior also, but and also the VIS, you know, the coaches, the S and C, you know, I was yeah, I was battling injuries through earlier through that year and they, you know, they taught me how to train and how to manage that and how to recover, just stuff that I was just oblivious to that didn't know existed, you know, other than maybe what you saw on the occasional movie. So um, big credit's got to go to them there. And and then I just rode the wave. It was just a confidence wave from then on. That's all it was really. And it was, like I said, it was hit or miss. I either, either placed or I missed the cut. There was there was no middle ground. So it was, um, it was, it's a good way to be in golf, let's be honest. Yeah. That's you make your money. Um, it's not all you don't sure. get much for finishing uh, you know, mid-pack. Yeah, so so like yeah, the extremes of that. So yeah, you're either placing or uh, you've got the weekend off. Could could you kind of tap into what the difference was between the good results and the bad, or was it just? I talked about this last week on a, on another podcast, and I think it was because, and I wish I'd be able to. I was wish I, I'm able to do it now. Is that I think the expectation was low. Like I, mm. I didn't go into WAPGA expecting to win. Like mm. I would have been wrapped to make the cut that week. And then I managed to win. And then I'm so wrapped that I'm playing like tier one tour events in Australia that, you know, with the best players, some of the best players in the world, I've got no expectation to perform. And I think, you know, turning up to Aussie PGA that week, I was hitting it awful. Like, so I hit three shanks on the Monday. I hit two on the Tuesday in practice rounds. It was, um, I had no expectation. I had... My now boss, Steve Sandilands, um, he was on the bag, also a third-year trainee. I was sleeping on a mattress on in the floor of his apartment that week. 
he caddied for me, just turned up Thursday, Friday, a couple of days off work. I think it was only half days he got off because he was working the other side. We made the cut, mate. We went out for three-course dinner. We had steak, oysters, dessert, red wine. That was on the Friday night. When I shot a decent score on the Saturday, we sat in a spa and drank a six-pack of ciders and thought this was the greatest thing ever that we were sort of sitting top 15. And then, you know, to birdie three of the first six on Saturday, on, on Sunday, and shoot up the leaderboard and then birdie 12 to be one behind Scotty and Ricky Fowler was, I had no, I had no understanding of where I was at that point. It wasn't until the siren went standing on the 14th, just after hitting my tee shot on the 14th, the bar three, the siren went for a lightning delay. And I spent the next hour and a half being interviewed and watching highlights of myself on TV that I was able to work out what was going on. And, and that was probably the most detrimental hour and a half that I could have ever had because, yeah. you know, I started, I, let's, I got way ahead of myself. I was, if I win this event, this is going to happen. You know, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to do that. Like, and I had the car and boat set up. Like it was, I already had that planned out before I even went back out there. So, you know, that's just lack of experience and um, something that now you'd probably be better. You, you only learn through experience. I think, I don't think that's something you can be naturally talented mm-hmm. in. So, you know, I think I'm better equipped now, but it's hard to it's hard to win. It's hard to control it when you're going down the stretch there. And I've fallen over a number of times since. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a it's the best feeling ever. And I don't know, mate. I I don't think there's um there's much to it other than the fact that you know the expectation was low. And then the more I practiced and the more I trained for the years following, and became my sole job and that's all I was doing. I wasn't working full time. I wasn't studying. The expectation was that I, if I could get those results while I was doing all that, now I'm dedicating all my life to it. I should just turn up and win everything. And yeah, expectation goes up, and you know, disappointment comes in a lot when you don't reach those expectations that are unachievable. So that's probably what it was, mate. And again, hindsight, it's easy to sort of break it down like this and talk mm-hmm. about it. But, um. Yeah, I might be maturing too. Who knows, <laughs> mate? It's it's incredible, like that that mixture of being in the zone, and it seems like looking back at that story, the WA win. That's a that's a boys that's a lads road trip, isn't it? We're coming back with the trophy. There's, it doesn't seem like it was overthought. It wasn't premeditated, you know. But a vision board with all your goals and what you're going to shoot. It was just go out, have a hit, and that yeah. shift. Yeah. I guess it was at that point, like I was playing in the trainee stuff and, you know, I was playing quite well and mm. you know, generally performing the top. And that was the next step up to the tour level. So, you know, in taking that step up, I saw myself at the bottom again and, you know, I'd have to work my way up. So, you know, if I was to make a cut in one of those events, it was a good achievement. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess you're right. It's, it is one of those ones that it was a boys trip and, and I had distractions. Those guys, I, tra- I traveled with them. So many times at that point, Tark's such a good cook. Um, he he's been on my kitchen rules and stuff since, and um, we were lucky. He'd cook everything. I'd just be in the kitchen trying to learn, pick up on a few things, just being the just the just the kitchen hand. So you know, having outlets like that, I think, is very important and something that I've tried to hold on to in most events that I travel to since. But yeah, it, it's there's no there's no blueprint on it. Mm. You, know, you generally perform when you don't expect to. Um, it's yeah, or you shouldn't really like you know. Generally, off the worst preparation is when you'll somehow shoot the lights out. Mm. Like well, this doesn't make any sense, and that's just the beauty of this game too. Is it? 
it dishes up the unexpected time after time. So, so, so take us through the the PGA a little bit more. So, 2013, like obviously, there's for, for those who don't know, there's the thunderstorm and the the siren goes. What is it? A couple of hour break? About an hour and a half to two hours. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, as I said, there was interviews. I, you know, sat in the room, like yeah. the room, highlights being played. I couldn't help but watch it. And then I came out and I had a bunker shot. I hit it in the back bunker on 14 before the remodel at Royal Pines. And it was an easy bunker shot before the rain. Like it was soft, fluffy. There was enough green there. And, and I was on this confidence wave where, you know, you just didn't think you could miss anything. And then the sand was wet. And I went you know, in the warm up, I must have hit. 40 bunker shots just to, just to get myself ready. And I come out, heart's racing, yeah, don't hit it quite right, doesn't get through the sand like you expect. Um, didn't didn't knife it, but I certainly didn't get it good. It skids down the tier and I three-putt for double. The same time, Scotty's on the 12th of par five. He goes, drive a four-iron, lips out for Albatross and taps it in for eagle. So I go from one behind to five behind and uh, – that was pretty much all she wrote from there. I birdied the next, the par five, and I made three pretty shaky pars coming in. I know the old man had it recorded, the, the highlight of the 18th green, about an eight-footer for par, and there was about, about $23,000 it had on the screen. You know, make or miss was worth 23 grand difference. So I managed to make that, and, and oh. geez, we celebrated that night. It was, it was yeah. It was, uh, I, I think I spent a little, put a dent in that, uh, in that check that night. But, you know, in hindsight, it would have been, you know, could have been anything, but at the same time, to finish third to the world number one at the time and reigning Masters champ, something pretty special and something I have forever. So, yeah, it was it was incredible. Don't don't go back and watch any of the interviews that I did because, geez, I was terrible. I, uh, I oh. sent, like the cockiest little bloke of getting around. It was. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know what's happening now. Every single person watching this is going to go YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll get a laugh. That's what I'm all about, man. Entertainment. I'll get a laugh out of it. That's awesome. Um, and then, did you get did you get a chance to speak to Scotty or Ricky? Yeah, so Ricky was pretty reserved at that point, and you know, he I don't never really got to know him at all. Other than that night, we went out with the Coca Cola guys. Took took me out with the, the boys that I was with, and um, he was with the Puma guys, and they were sort of they were together. So he was there in the in the same pub and same group, but we didn't really get to chat too much. The following week. Because I'd sort of come from nowhere, it was the media, I guess, saw an opportunity to, to capitalise there. So I did a few interviews and we got paired with Scotty and, and Mark Leishman for the first two rounds of the Aussie Masters the following week. Awesome. Mate, that was yeah, the crowds that that Thursday were like nothing else I've seen at any point. Um, they were sort of 10 deep walking onto the first, the compass at Royal Melbourne there. It was pretty special experience. And, yeah, I remember hitting, I think it was took me about – Took about seven holes just to make conversation with him, but yeah. You know, after that, he, he was as open as they are. He's just a normal Aussie dude, mate. And, you know, I saw that. I didn't get to watch it this morning, but I saw he was doing an Instagram live mm-hmm. today and just up at Mulaney. And he's just a he's one of the best, mate. I read a story about how he rang a really sick elderly gentleman in Sydney. Like he's he's a genuine dude, and and we chatted about all sorts of things. Just normal, normal dude. You know what dudes chat about on the golf course. It was no different. So uh, for someone who's been at the highest of highs. He's uh, he's very down to earth and just a normal Aussie dude, mate. So it's uh, it's very good. And we've chatted since. And uh, Leash, mate, he's the best. So you know, like chatting to these guys, it's good to be around. And they always make conversation in every event. You know, you see from now on, they're yeah, as I said, they're just just Aussie blokes that 
have a few more dollars than the rest of us. Just a few. Um, but no, I think you, you've hit that on the head. It's been amazing watching what Scotty's been doing in this, call it lockdown period for the local community and for the game of golf. And yeah, Leash, Leash has got his new beer out, Leishman Lager. We'll give that yep. a plug. Have had it. It's uh, quite nice too, actually. Very thinking yeah. You can knock a case of it off pretty quick. And I think that's <laughs> sort of, I think that's Leash and his old man sort of style too. Like, yeah, I can, yeah, I can see the boys sitting around knocking, yeah, off, you can... knocking off plenty of tins. I think it's a pretty good brand alignment there for sure. Uh, good, good side business for him to get into. Um, and then, so after that, you've got the you've got the PGA. Yeah. What happens next? Like, so what are the next couple of years like? Yeah, mate. So I finished fifth in the Order of Merit that year in Australia. Um, it opens up final stage Q schools all around the world, starting with Asia um, early Feb the following year. I've never been overseas. Like, I'd only got my passport six months earlier just on <laughs> On the one chance we might have gone and on a holiday, I think family holiday or something, and that never came to. So then, started 2014. I've now got all these opportunities coming up. I get uh, put into the rookie scholarship for Golf Australia, and the opportunities. Yeah, the management companies calling. Um, I managed to sign with a management company in Europe and opens up seven Challenge Tour events on invites. Uh, it gets me some some main tour invites over there. I've got one Asia status, so I go and play you know, multiple one Asia events. But the first first time I travel overseas, I'm on my own. I go do like a recon practice sort of run, um, and I fly into Thailand at two in the morning in a Bangkok, sit in a car like a minivan on my own for three hours down to Wahin, doing astronomical speeds in and out of traffic in the middle of the morning, thinking I'm going to die the whole time. I'll never forget looking at my knuckles and like noticing how white they were from holding on to the, the safety handle in the back of the bus there. And um, that was sort of my introduction to, to Asia and traveling overseas and, you know, played a week of golf there as just as practice on the golf course that I was going to be at. And, yeah, go over to final stage Asia Q school, miss the first cut, don't even go close, uh, play a few more events and, and played okay. Had a couple of results. I think I finished 15th New Zealand Open and, Nothing special, but you know, it was still sort of ticking over. We're somewhere near it. Um, posted, posted a nine under an Indonesian Open in the second round, surrounded by three even pars. So that was, I think, I finished fiftieth, but showed equal course record in the second round in Indonesian Masters, Indonesian PGA, and then went to Europe and spent yeah ten weeks solid on the road on my own in Europe, playing different events. Incredible experience. Um, Certainly, yeah, not one that anyone could, could have prepared me for. You know, I was probably still under the illusion it was going to be glitz and glamour and not staying in some divey hotels in the middle of nowhere for most of those events and, um, you know, getting pretty lonely and not having people around and stuff like that. And, yeah, I know I, I certainly came back a couple of times going, yeah, is this really what I want to do? Like, it's, it was a tough one. It was a bit of a wake-up call, but... You know, then you get you get that little taste again of, of playing well and yeah, that'll tie you over again for another 12 months sort of thing and kept me in there and um, yeah, didn't have any real results other than a 15th in Belgium. Um, I led a Russian Open for half a day there at one stage, which was, that's a that's a pretty epic story to have. I, I like got into the event, only Aussie on an invite, waited in London for like 10 days for documentation. By the time it finally turned up, 
I couldn't lodge in London, didn't have enough time, flew back to Australia, nine-day turnaround, got my visa. Two days before I'm about to fly out, that plane gets shot down. Um, MHA 370 or whatever, just gets shot down. Um, and I'm like, that's it, I'm out, I'm not going. And I've already bought tickets, I've already paid for everything. And I remember ringing Fraser, he's like, mate, I've been there, you'll be fine, no worries. So I decided to go. The next day I wake up and Tony Abbott at the time has blamed Putin for it. He's the only leader in the world to blame the Russian president and I'm the only Aussie in the field. So I'm like, I'm out again. And then uh, sure enough, I got convinced into it and I flew out the next day and, mate, yeah, I've never experienced anything like that. Yeah, driving in, blokes on the gate with AK-47s, like the locker room door, the guy's got a massive gun. You know, like that was my first experience to that. And it was like, wow, we uh, we live in a very different world back in Australia. And um, yeah, and then again, the expectation wasn't there. And I shot seven under or something in the first round and was leading the Russian Open. It was like, I think I finished 50th or 60th yeah. again the week. But it was, um, yeah, it was a, certainly a, a surreal year. And um, the following year, I managed to get status in Canada. I, I got web.com status. I finished about 90th in final stage of web.com um, in later that year, which got me, didn't get me web status, but it managed to get me status mm-hmm. in Canada, third tier. Um, decided to put the money that I had aside to pay my tax bill and go and try my luck over in Canada and hadn't had the best time in Europe that year. So certainly went to the polar opposite and had way too much fun in Canada in 15. I, uh, I certainly enjoyed the Canadian hospitality way too much and it definitely reflected some of my results. But, um, yeah, that was four months of my life that uh, I certainly enjoyed a lot and, and one that I'll treasure, but came back tail between the legs again with no real results and spending that money, it, you know, things became a little different to what they were the start of 2014, you know, the end of 2015 and um, was battling a wrist injury that I'd been putting up with for a couple of years. And, yeah, that that's, you know, I took a month off and started doing some shifts in a bar and, a state of rebellion came around, I guess, in the way of the dreadlocks decisions that was at the end of that as well. So, you know, it all sort of accumulated, I guess, and then um, managed to get my tour status back in Australia. Started 2016, and my wrist operated on in April, mm. and just just went back to work. Um, started manage, managing a bar and realised how lucky I was to play golf for a living for the years prior. And yeah, mate, that motivated me more than anything. And, and yeah, you know, just to come back and have a few results in, in 2016 and earn some status and, yeah, generate some opportunities in you know, the next few years. Mm, like, that's it's a crazy story. Like, I think one of the things there that people don't maybe realise when they're sitting at home is that they see the pro golfer story from, say, the Scotty and Jason Day perspective or the Tiger Woods perspective. Like, like what's it like when... You know, you've gone from being with all your mates and that support network to then essentially being by yourself on the road, probably managing funds. And is that where the pressure kind of starts building up, where it's not only kind of on your own, but you're like, crap, if I don't win here, I might not have enough money for accommodation in a couple of weeks or whatever that looks like? Absolutely, mate. And that's something that has probably helped frame the decision I've made now to sort of, you know, it's after missing my tour card last year for Japan for, for this year. You know, to step away and go, all right, I'm, I need to, I need to address my financial situation and build some stability there to be able to do this, um, and be able to turn up and, and not have that pressure of, of making money to live or, or making money to eat. But you know, that, that experience of 
you know, going out after having the support network and having all your mates, having that around your team around you, and then having nothing and being mm. on your own. That's professional golf, mate. That's just how it is. You've got to be self-sufficient. It's a very lonely, independent game, and and you're essentially just a businessman. And I like to describe it in the fact that you're really just a professional gambler. You put the work in, you get to influence the result a little bit. There's also a lot of things out of your control, and you put the money on the table. Expect in the you know in the effort to try and win that back plus more. You know, if you look at it from a business perspective, that's really what you do. It's an investment, and you're trying to you know. Mm-hmm. get a better return um and yeah there's a lot more to it and and that might be my perspective and my opinion and not many people said but really factually that's realistically the way it is it's it's simple you you know you got to make decisions on what the outcome is and a lot of the time the carrot is pretty big uh, in mm. golf it dangles there in front of you and whether it be opportunity or whether it be money um you generally invest that money on what the best result is not what the you know the most realistic achievement is even though you back yourself in every time you've got to sort of weigh the odds up and go well all right you know i'm 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 pretty likely that i'm going to finish top 30 and get my money back here so all right if i can do that then everything above that's you know a bonus and then you sort of go from there you start building building yourself up that way and again that's the way i like to look at it but uh, it, it, mate, the best way to describe that is, yeah, independent golf is sorry, golf professional golf is very independent, and you're a you're a sole trader, and you got to be yeah. self sufficient. Got to do all of it yourself. And I've heard that story a few times from pros that we've spoken to, where even playing on the Asian Tour or the European Tour to get through a season might cost a couple hundred thousand dollars, and if you're not backed by sponsorship or family or parents, you've probably got you need really have to have what a couple of top fives or a win, a win or two nearly to to end up breaking even. And that's maybe something that we don't really see all that much of is, is the investment required to to make it in that game. But then also the pressure of the performance um, while you're in that situation. Can't imagine what that would be like. Mm. Yeah, it's something I struggle with too is, you know, you've got a team around you that do so much for you. I always felt the expectation to perform for them as well. Um, but, you know, you also touched on, the sponsorship side of thing there. And I think that's why we need to expose golf in this country and, and really help it evolve and um, appeal to a wider demographic and, and make it a lot more entertaining because that's how the return on investment is going to come for, for sponsorship for individuals. You know, as a business, we need to be able to go to a, a potential sponsor and be able to show them what the return is going to be. And that's only going to happen if, if we're reaching a bigger audience and, and we can say, well, I'm going to showcase your brand to so many, you know, so many viewers so, so often. And that's your return, and then you can start having a, a conversation. Right now, it's very difficult to to obtain sponsors because you just, you know, no one's got the disposable income that's needed just to, you know, potentially throw cash away. It's such a high risk investment. Um, you know, it's it's a hard one to expect someone to to do. Yep. Yeah, it's true. And and like, what what's your kind of views like on the game? Because where, where, where do you think it sits right now, and where do you see it in the next couple of years? Well, yeah. obviously with COVID, it's, it's in a unique position too. Like yeah, bring that in. take a step back a couple of months before yeah. all this, and you know, even the end of last year, and you know, without like I'm very passionate about this sport. I want to give back where I can. I want to see it grow. I honestly believe we have the best sport in the world, the hardest sport in the world, 
I'll have that argument with anyone. You know, the idea of the ball stationary, you know, as opposed to moving and the moving ball sports are harder, you're dreaming. Like, you got to generate all the power and wealth and, you know, it's just, the targets are a lot smaller and there's a lot more variables and conditions change every single shot. So I'll argue that forever. And in that, because of that, there's so much opportunity and potential, I think, with new formats, um, you know, I think first and foremost, we need to close the gap of relatability between spectator and player. We need to, we need to, I think, adopt the the reality TV aspect and, and showcase the the personalities that you talked about earlier. We've got to get the spectators inside the ropes more, whether it be via close-up cameras, whether it be via the Vic Open approach, where you know there isn't any ropes and the spectators walk you know, right behind the players where you can hear the conversations with the caddy. Um, and look, th- there is things that need to be thought about and it is the, you know, the brand of golf getting potentially damaged because of the way people speak and, you know, but that's a, just a habitual thing. We need to, you know, guys will evolve and adapt to that. And mm. that's just something if the money's there and it's going to bring in more opportunities for them, they'll adapt like everyone else. So, you know, I think we need to, try that as i sort of said earlier we don't we're not fortunate enough to have the population in this country like eurasia's america's europe's to to hold the sport up with a small percentage that enjoy the sport we need to appeal to the to the masses and and to do that we need to be entertaining and we need to compete with the other sports in our industry in the sporting industry we need to be able to compete against the likes of afl cricket um you know basketball soccer all those ones we need to be able to compete with that and right now hey like this is the sport i'm in this is what i know and yet i'd much rather turn on a game of afl and watch a game of afl than turn the golf on and uh that's pretty that's pretty scary if uh i know it as well as i do and and i don't find it entertaining enough to want to choose it over other sports so you know i don't know what the answer is i've i've been pretty vocal on it and that's solely because i am passionate and um you know i'm maybe yeah i want to see change and i think if if we don't start doing something very quickly we'll we'll continue to see the decline in events and and the status of golf in this country um yeah. over the coming years if, if we don't do something pretty drastic uh so you know that's that's the only reason i do speak out like i do and um you know it's again like it's the only sport in the world where a five-year-old can stand next to a 90-year-old and they play a competitive event against each other. You know, we've got a, a system in place that can allow that to happen. And um, there's just so many things. The banter that happens between a couple of blokes out playing a, a money match on a Saturday is entertaining. There's enough there. There's enough content opportunity in the world we live in now. I think that we, as golf, are behind in in our competitors and they're continually evolving and continually mm. increasing that gap and for us to close that gap we need to make some pretty big moves is my opinion so again only my opinion but um it seems to be logical and that's sort of where i i come from in most of the things i i try and, try and advocate is, is logic generally prevails and hopefully <laughs> although the game isn't of isn't uh obviously that logical at times either but no it's uh yeah, that's where I think I think we fit. And I'd just love to see, I'd love to see Australia be the leaders in innovation in this sport. Mm. And you know, we mentioned Simon earlier, and I know there's a number of other people that have that have talked about it. And I know the 
the establishments, you know, your leading organize your leaders in the organization are, are talking about it. It's but it's scary, mate. You know, new stuff is scary, and unfortunately, we need to be um, unafraid to fail. And sometimes that's an investment that may set you back. But geez, I'd, I'd love to start just throwing heaps of ideas up, and hopefully, something sticks, and uh, and it really. You know, increases the longevity of, it, of this sport, and particularly in this country and um, the professional level, then just sort of stick in the course that we're on and, um, you know, hoping that it comes back because I just can't see how that's going to be the case. I think, um, I think you've touched on so many good points. So like from an alignment perspective, obviously with Future Golf, couldn't agree more with you on every single point there is, uh, you know, if you... If you Breaking it down for something sustainable, it does need to attract that broader audience base, you know. And that's kind of when we we kicked off Future Golf. It was that it's like why aren't there any young people? Like even we're looking at it now. Like golf is probably one of those sports where it should have such a diverse age representation, socioeconomic representation, gender. It just doesn't. You know, like there is a very defined market for the consumer of golf. And if it remains like that, the the sport probably doesn't have that much of an optimistic future because um, all that much. And I think you're right. Like these these things like Blitz Golf, like Future Golf, like Top Golf, you know, nine hole events, they've got these these opportunities for anyone to come and play some mini golf or driving range or have nine holes or six holes. The personalities like yourself and people that are actually going to have a bit more fun with it that are accessible, that can bridge that gap with the story. The President's Cup, everyone loved that because there's a rivalry and you've got the best players and Phoenix Open where you've got there's there's examples of things that are definitely working and but there is still that fear of oh well we can't do that yet or waiting someone else to do it taking that leap yeah it's true yeah and mate your lines this line's going a little dodgy so you know just so you're aware if i sit there looking at you it's just because uh things are a little bit a little bit shaky but um Mate, I think you're spot on and it's good to hear that there's a lot of people, you know, like yourself supporting that. And and I think, mate, it's it's growing. There's a lot of people that are that are on this of the same view of what um of what you are and I, and I am. And you know, I'm not an individual in this. There there is a number of people and and the tour in this country is predominant like seventy percent or so is of guys my age or younger. And, you know, have grown up in this atmosphere it's they're expecting it to to evolve and turn you know it's mm. um you know there's always an exception to that but that's it so i think we do need it we do need to take a leap and definitely do stuff like that and you know mate, the idea of it, it's been done the music thing let's do it more like it doesn't put us mm. on it's the yeah. white noise that is great it's the it's when it's silence and you get the uh the phone ringing or the coughing or something that's what'll put you off it's um yeah. it's white noise, you know. Again, we'll adapt. It's completely fine. Yeah. We don't need to hear the contact of the ball like tennis to, you know, 
um, affect our reaction time and stuff. So, yeah, mate, I'm a big advocate for all that. And, you know, I think it makes it more fun too. It's, uh, it's, I love to have music playing every time I'm out there. It's, you see all the tour guys with the headphones in, they listen to it while they're practicing. So, what's the difference? Let's get some DJs on the range, let's get them on yeah. the off course, make it happen. And, and it would probably even add to the atmosphere, right? Like if there's genuine heckling or there's crowd engagement and involvement there, like you, you see it at the Phoenix Open, that's what it's about. The, the crowd wants to see somebody and that's where that engagement really comes in. Absolutely, mate. And that's what they're closing that gap of relatability between spectator and player is very mm. important, I think. And and by doing adding those things, it makes it makes it more real life. It makes it more close to the norm of what guys can do on a Saturday afternoon at a public track in thongs and board shorts. Like, you know, and you play the bring the portable speaker mm. and you have a few beers, you know, it's a bit more relatable to what professional golf could be, I think. And you know, I don't know. It might not be the answer, but I think it it's an obligation to to try it. Um mm. you're not gonna know for sure unless you do and I know the guys at, at you know of all the organizations that lead in this country are all thinking about it. It's it's just finding the support, I guess, and the people that can help them make it happen. Um, you know, I, I just love, I'm a bit impatient too, maybe. Maybe that's what it is, right? Like maybe I just wanted yeah. to happen yesterday. Um, and yeah, and I think you're right. I think I think everyone knows that it's it's the the problem that needs solving. You know, and and it is. It's not an easy one to probably address. It's an expensive one probably to address as well. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that pans out over the next couple of years. So, so where's where's your game at the moment? You're you're at Royal Canberra right now. You're working. You're coaching. Yeah, doing a little bit of coaching. Kind of the golf space. Yeah, doing a little bit of coaching. You know, in the operational side of the business. Um, pretty interesting time to join a team. Obviously, you know, coming here early March. So. You know, I think it's it's sort of you know evolving. The whole teams had to adapt to to different ways of operation, and you know, so just fitting in and and being a part of that team and and making the the member experience um, as good as possible is is sort of the role I'm in right now. And I think I've got a lot to offer in the way of the golf knowledge and stuff like that. And you know, I got a pretty good uh, tutorial and and traineeship, I guess, in the in that private golf club experience but at kingswood so um you know it's good to be back in the industry and, and my partner lives here in canberra so you know it was a great opportunity to be able to move down and, and be closer to her and um you know touch wood she hasn't kicked me out yet and uh everything's going great so <laughs> other than it being a top of seven degrees here which i'm really struggling with coming from queensland it's um it's been good the golf wise made i find it very hard when i don't know when my next event is to to be motivated to be out there training and, and playing. So I think um, I'll continue to go out and hit a couple of balls here and play a few holes where I can. But, you know, I'll probably, particularly if the weather stays like this, you'll probably find me uh, rugged up and inside playing darts or maybe having the occasional beer myself um, in my downtime rather than out there on the course. But, you know, certainly once events start to uh, start to formulate again, you know, the motivation will come back and, and you know, as long as I don't let the rust get too thick, it'll uh, it'll be okay. I'm sure I'll be able to come back and and uh, yeah, who knows? The expectation will be lower, no doubt. And uh, 
who knows what it might bring. Penciling you in for a win going by your track record. If you if you're not practicing, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all, you know. But I'm not going to think about it too much because the expectation will go up. No, awesome. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Riz. Like, obviously, you guys are like a team, and yeah, mate. Sorry, I was sort of breaking up a bit there, but you know, Riz, it's an interesting story considering the bloke had never played golf before, he's never been to a golf event, he knows nothing about the sport or game, or didn't anyway. Um, we were best mates right through high school. Um, you know, always wanted to had the dream of going to work with my best mate. And um, 2017, New Zealand Open in Queenstown, my favorite place in the world. He'd never been, he just got back from a year overseas. Um, don't think he'd shaved or cut his hair in that time. So he'd come back looking a spitting image of Otto from Happy Gilmore, the homeless caddy. And um, I said to him, mate, I've got to show you this place. At that point, I was probably struggling with the travel a bit, so the idea of taking my best mate on the road was a good incentive. And, you know, we got to New Zealand Open and I thought I'd showed him enough, but, you know, come Thursday, that was a bit of a roller coaster in the emotional state. I had, uh, I remember standing on the 10th hole next next to my ball, I've done my yardage, I go to grab a club and he's like 200 metres back. We're already on the clock and, you know, so it was certainly an interesting introduction for his first round on uh, on the bag, but... Uh, we turned it around and I went out and shot seven under the next day and then six under and then I think five under in the last round and we finished fifth in the New Zealand Open that year and uh, I'd already told him that we're, we're going to get a camper van and, and go and travel to South Island for the week after. Um, he didn't realise I was out of money and, and was sort of just hopefully not maxing out my credit card but uh, we managed to finish fifth and it certainly changed the the itinerary of that trip, it, uh, it involved a lot more partying and, and less travelling and then, uh, than what we'd sort of planned out. But, yeah, it was an incredible, inc- incredible introduction and, and it formulated something pretty special, um, you know, for someone that had never been on a golf course or, or caddied before. He's a very smart dude. You know, he's doing his master's education now. He's already got a science degree before that. He picked it up and even in the last round, he'd often ask me questions that, he'd heard other caddies ask players and you'd just, look at him, you'd just look at him with the weirdest look on your face because you just knew that he didn't know what he was talking about and he'd always give you just this just this cheeky smile and and it was that was what was so good about it he knows me better than anyone uh, what he can give me as a caddy is is such a big asset he can he knows me as a person and that sort of relationship to build in, in a caddy is is it's very, very hard and, and a long time to, to build. So to be able to have that, and, and I know my golf better than anyone. So it was, um, you know, as long as I took responsibility of that, which I'm a perfectionist and a control freak at the best of times. So, you know, I'd struggle to let a caddy have any control there anyway. So to be able to be out there hanging out with my best mate, it was it was pretty cool. And, and yeah, we got some, we didn't get as much traction at that event as as probably what we, we thought we might. We certainly shocked a lot of people and um yeah there was certainly some feedback but it wasn't until the end of that year when you know we we riz did a video they mic'd him up in the second round and a video on in the second round of the lspga went for about six and a half minutes 
got more views than any other video the PGA had done at the time. Uh, they played a minute and a half of it in the broadcast while Adam Scott was sitting in the commissary box. And we pe- got paired with Sergio in the last round. And he was current Masters champion as well, US Masters champion. So that was a pretty special thing. And I mean, I'll never forget the look on Sergio's face when he walked onto that first tee and Riz was trying to shake his hand. I mean, he thought Ashton Kutcher was going to jump out of the bushes and punk him at any point. I'm sure of it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we, we played pretty well too. But the, the, I guess the highlight of that was when the tee times were released and we were sort of watching them eagerly. In the tiles, it was Lucas Herbert, Sergio Garcia, Jack Wilson, and then an inset in the tile was Riz. It was like Anthony <laughs> the palm. And I don't think there has ever, any point in the world, been a caddy in the tea time tiles. So that's definitely a highlight. And, and um, you know, that video got a lot of traction. Um, you know, he, he, he built an audience and a brand for himself from then on. And, and it's something we fostered for, the, for years to come. And um, just a pity we couldn't get a few more results on the board, mate. It would have been great to be to be standing up there on a podium letting him do half the speech because that was always the plan. It was always a team effort. And I would have loved to have seen him in front of the cameras because he he often goes uh he often goes yeah, he gets a bit of stage fright and goes pretty quiet. So it would have been good to see him fumble through there. Oh mate. Uh, what a cracking story, an awesome relationship. And mate, going by the way that your golf goes, uh I wouldn't be cancelling that out. At least we might have lost Ali, I think. Don't know whether I'm still on, guys, but um, yeah, we've lost Ali for the moment. But uh, see if we can't get him back on.
Yeah, mate. Connect an audio, I think, if I got you. Hey, man. Ah, oh, there you are. Sorry about that. That's okay. Can you hear I thought us? it was my end. As long as it's not my end, mate, I'll uh, try to get your. Let's have a got look. Got me? Can you hear me now or not? And we're just going to get you back here. Awesome. Sorry, bud. We're back on. <laughs> That's all right, mate. You can hear me and everything's all yeah. good. And a little bit of technical difficulties. I don't know if you were just freestyling then or not. Um, it was Zoom for a little bit. I, I'll let the viewers know that, you know, we've lost Ali yeah. for the moment, but we'll try and get him back on. I don't know whether I'll make <laughs> Like a pro, just just have just have, holding the show together, mate. Well, this is this is live broadcasting at its finest, isn't it? That's it, mate. We got to uh, you got to love technology. It's great. Oh, but, um, yeah, it's uh, it's all good, man. If we're back on, and you know, yeah, it uh, looks like we're good for now. Just yeah, I think the the laptop battery is messing around a little bit there. But let's just you were talking about Riz, and I think that we're finishing off on that thought of you know, like hopefully that that opportunity to get on the podium does happen sometime soon. And I think just with the the final few sort of wrap up questions here is uh, you, you mentioned earlier the the stuff that you're doing uh, with Challenge Australia and with um, Jared Lyles Foundation, Luke the Duck. Um, how was what was your work uh, with that like, and what was that experience like? Yeah, man, that was um, super humbling experience, and you know, a huge shout out to Dave Rogers and um, Brioni Lyle for for getting me involved and, and allowing me to be a part of something so special. Um, you know. I, Riz and I were at a function um, a couple of years ago at Vic Open and um, we saw the opportunity for a, a donation to donate our time to a round of golf and, and that was probably our first introduction and then the conversation started with with Bri and, um, you know, to be an ambassador for such an incredible charity is, is something so special and, and something that Riz and I were super privileged to be a part of Um and still are, you know. I, I um, it's just not being out there playing as much. I can't, uh, I can't, you know, share the the work they do as much. But you know, I've I was very lucky to be able to get in to the hospital a couple of times and, and hang out with some of the kids that are going through something that um, I couldn't even begin to imagine what that's like. So, to it sort of prompted the the idea, and I, I remember ringing Brian and saying, "What do you think of?" me chopping my dreadlocks off and, and trying to raise some money for for what you guys do and um she was she was incredibly supportive and she was the brains behind how it all came to fruition and um i probably had the you know i probably had a a figure of five or ten thousand dollars in my head um when i was sort of thinking it and you know i couldn't begin to imagine that the support would come and um, the platform I'd created would would allow us to raise close to fifty thousand dollars for Amazing. Challenge Cancer Foundation, and and the cause we put it towards was building real hair hair wigs for kids going through um, going through cancer treatment that that lose their hair. So that was something pretty special to be able to do to be able to give kids that choice back of of looking the way they want to look, and and something that a lot of us take for granted. You know, I know I took for granted. So. It was something very special and um, something I'll remember forever. And, you know, that, yeah, Dave and, and Bri have been so incredibly um, supportive of, of everything we do. And, um, you know, I'll forever do what I can to, to help support them. And, um, yeah. it, again, mate, it, 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 as I said, it was humbling and it, it 
it allowed me to to have a bit of perspective on how lucky I am to have what I have. Yeah, it's um, it's it's awesome work, mate, and congrats on that result. Like, what an epic effort! And as you mentioned earlier, that journey of the bread starting all those years back to actually ending with such a positive story and outcome at the end of it. And again, for everyone out there, get behind the foundation. It's an amazing cause. And I know a lot of our members um, are big supporters as well. So we'll add some links um, to donate, support, to support the Wild Foundation as well at the end of this. Yeah, and I must say, um, Frankie from Birds of Condor was super supportive in that as well. You know, obviously my dreads were probably a, a big part of birds being me being appealing to birds and obviously Riz and I and what we do and probably Riz more than anything let's be honest I rode his coattails for most of that time I was probably I was the second fiddle to him he was the star of the show there's no doubt about that oh. um, but yeah you know Frankie was super supportive and he you know the donations they put in and the like specific yellow items that he he put together for Riz and I to wear during events you know once we we formulated that relationship with Challenge was was incredible and yeah, you know, oh yeah, got the uh, got the gear on right now. It's 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 if you if you're looking for a, a brand that aligns with future golf, it's yeah. uh, it's there's no better than Birds of Condor. So make sure you jump on and anyone with it, use the code Riz the Caddy um, at checkout. You'll get yourself a nice little discount too. So um, <laughs> I love that the codes. It's all yours. It's Riz the Caddy. Always no, the Caddy. He's the, uh, we'll give the we'll give the guys from Birds of Condor a plug as well. They do great stuff. And again, you know, it's a, another brand aligning with um, what we're talking about and doing some awesome things. I remember seeing the Birds of Condor stand out at the PGA show a couple of years back, and uh, God's doing a, a wonderful job there. You know, I think Frank yeah. had his daughter or kid there at the time as well, and um, very very cool. Yeah, the way they go about it. Luna's a little champ too. So <laughs> yeah. he's uh, no, it's a good family business based out of Byron Bay. Yeah, it's awesome. uh, it's fan it's it's fantastic, mate. Yeah, and and, and great gear too. Yeah, maybe not for the traditionalists, but it's, uh, it's for everyone else. It's um, it's good. So the gear you can wear from the golf course to the pub every single time. Multi multifaceted. That's what it's about. And and so what's next? Uh, what, what's on the cards at the moment? You are obviously in Canberra, like uh, I know yeah, events and stuff. Um, to have the opportunity to join such a prestigious club like Royal Canberra is, is a fantastic opportunity and one that doesn't come along very often. So, I'm, uh, you know, I haven't certainly haven't switched off the ambition to play. That's definitely mm-hmm. there. But, you know, to chase around the little stuff, um, like I spoke about earlier, I've got a, I've got a focus now to build up a, you know, build up some financial stability, but also diversify my brand a little bit. You know, I've gone from being probably the the anti-private golf club person to being a little bit more corporate. And although I've managed to keep the beard, um, you know, I, I think there's room for all versions of golf, you know. I don't see why, you know, and, and the guys here are fantastic. And, you know, it's just great to be part of such a fantastic, you know, fantastic club and team and um, at a very interesting and exciting time too here mm-hmm. with with uh, a new team and, mm-hmm. you know, a new direction and, um, that's something that really interests me, and you know, mate, it's a new challenge, and and that's something that I'm I'm super excited about, and I'm looking forward to the the many years ahead here, and um, you know, who knows if that's yeah, if that very cool. if it doesn't kick me out, and I'm not on the street, we'll move back in with mum and dad. Okay, there's always a backup plan. I love that. There's the base, everything else above that's a bonus. So hey, that, that's what life's about, and. 
And, mate, I think it's just, you know, in summing up this chat, like we'll finish off with the note if there's anything that you want to speak about or where can people find you. Yeah, look, mate, like my my social channels, although I've been pretty quiet um, since all this kicked off, I sort of, yeah, I never know what to say. Mm-hmm. It's always pretty humorous and stuff in my stuff and, um, you know, it's a pretty serious time we're going through right now. So I've, mm-hmm. I've remained pretty quiet, but, mate, I'm still still active on there. If anyone wants to reach mm-hmm. out, by all means, get me through Insta and um, through Facebook and any of that, um, anything I can do to to help build this game and um, give back. I'm, I'm always receptive to that. And um, yeah, mate, let's, let's just, uh, let's just do what we can to help build the game in this country. And um, you know, if there's ever any initiatives, let's, uh, let's get behind them and um, give them all the support we can and, and no little contributions too little. So it's, uh, it's good. And, you know, look birds and, Luke the Duck and Challenge Cancer Foundation. If you if you're looking for people to support, make sure you jump on and check those guys out. They're all fantastic operations. Um, yeah, mate. I think uh, what you guys are doing is fantastic, and I look forward to seeing the the content you guys put out and, and the the product that you guys deliver. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's an interesting time we're living in, but uh, you know, golf's one of the few sports we still get to play, so we're going to be super grateful for that. Mate, 100%. Again, you know, hopefully we'll get the chance to catch up a little bit more moving forward too and we can expand out to, to the ACT in the near future as well. But it'll be great to, to get you involved and to, to work with you on spreading the message of growing the game of golf. And I think that's ultimately what we're all about at the moment is we want to get non-traditional golfers or those that are maybe been lost to the game or returning the game back into it. And, and I think it's going to be guys like yourself that can help drive that. And Riz, of course, the the, the star of the show. But, but I think this hey, is what golf Riz needs. Riz is and... super busy now. He's got so <laughs> much going on. He, I don't know how he's going to fit any golf in. So I think he's um, he's pretty happy that, you know, he's been able to step away for a bit and focus on his uni degree. I don't think he was uh, – he works full-time, a couple of jobs. He's, he's behind houses. He's got a lot going on. So maybe we might see a cameo from Riz again when he grows his hair and stuff back. But I wouldn't uh, – yeah, you know, let's oh. just uh, let's let him let him right. address what he's got going on for the moment. We won't put any pressure on him. We'll keep the we'll keep the book open for the next chapter. I think that's for sure. Um, yeah. Well, mate, thanks heaps for just being so generous with your time for dealing with the technical difficulties. I think we're at about a fifty fifty ratio of going through these without any and going through it with some, but we'll figure it out over time. But it's just <laughs> awesome to get an insight into your story. Um, we'll share those links out there as well and. Yeah, well, hopefully we can get to continue this discussion. Legend, mate. Yeah. And look, anything else I can do, make sure you yell out. Um, you ever want any uh, any any more chats? You know, there's, as you've probably seen, I don't have a problem talking, so it's generally to my detriment. Um, oh. Mate, happy to help. And, um, yeah, look, I look forward to seeing, seeing what uh, future golf holds. Awesome, mate. Thanks heaps for the chat. Enjoy the weekend and we'll speak soon. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers mate. Bye. I'm going to stop it.